I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody bitch! We will strive for the denazification of the Let me put it to you! Justin Bieber! Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The phone went over the side of the first time. It is time to destroy I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Pete Sinclair. Welcome to Mark Steele's podcast, where each week we ask the question, what the fuck is going on? And this week, as the co-writer and co-producer, I thought I'd let you know what the fuck is going on with Mark. He's finished the treatment for his throat cancer, and the good news is that it all seems to be going to plan. Unfortunately, part of the plan is that the side effects of the radio and chemotherapy do tend to knock you for six, which means at the moment Mark has temporarily lost his voice. Not ideal for recording a podcast. Um, Next week we'll be copying Have I Got News For You and having a guest host and we might do that for a couple of weeks until Mark gets his voice back. But for this week, here's another chance to listen to our most downloaded episode of all time. This is Mark doing an extended interview with presenter James O'Brien. Enjoy. Now, uh, so many times I've said that if anybody wants to work out what the fuck is going on, you need expert advice. I've never really meant it. I've sort of been complimenting people and that, and then on comes someone who hasn't got a clue like me. But for the first time, I can honestly, honestly say I have the the experts, expert, Mr. James O'Brien. Not only do you know what the fuck is going on, but you spend all day listening to people who clearly have got less clue even than I have what the fuck is going on, and yet think they do know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> there is a there is a relationship between between the pungency of opinion and the depth of knowledge that I like to I like to navigate. Well, that, yeah, you have put what I've just said in proper English prose. That has been like Jonathan Swift found some betting slip and turned it into a beautiful poem. Oh. The, what is it? The depth of the pungency of the the pungency of the opinion. <laughs> the relationship with the with the depth of the knowledge. I think. I mean, not all like that. You see, you're doing this thing. I have to immediately defend the huge majority of my callers. It's only the the ones that go viral, the ones that get clipped up, are the ones that are a bit more like a spectator sport, a bit more gladiatorial. So it is it is the slayings that go viral. But a lot of the time, it's just a very illuminating and enlightening job. It is very illuminating. I think, in all, obviously, for comedic purposes, it's easier to say that people are, uh, you know, oh, listen to what this ridiculous person said. But I do find, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing. I do, there's very rarely that I listen to someone now and I think you are just an idiot. And, uh, you know, there is no point at which we might connect. Most of the time when that happens, it's uh, because I'm listening to someone from the front bench of the British government. It's quite the era, isn't it? For for not just the front bench, but there's all the other benches as well. Jonathan Gullis in the House of Commons yesterday was... I, I think worse than anyone who's got through to me in the last ten years. Just just in terms of boneheadedness and unpleasantness, it used to be radio phone-in programs where you'd get the really vicious, vitriolic ignorance. But but now, as you say, you've got the government providing it for free. Do you think they compete? Do you think they sort of sit there before I go right? Right, I've got to beat Gullis. Someone will write now. I've got to beat Gullis. Gullis and Anderson. Oh, Anderson's marvellous, isn't he? Yeah. They compare, and then there's a bloke called Brendan something, double-barrelled. Who seems to be like the kind of remember Craig in Bros? He seems to be like the third, slightly eclipsed member of the triumvirate. While all the all the all the, all the, the twins are getting all the attention, Tweedledum and Tweedledummer are getting all the attention. But I wouldn't be surprised if they keep tabs on each other's 
clip count or, or, or media bookings and they think, crikey, I better be slightly viler. Yeah, today. I suppose I so. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll do, they outdo each other. I'm going to stand up in the Commons and say, do you know that Romanians are 98% insect? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? Under the EU, the Bulgarians could have come here and brought a mountain each. That's what <laughs> they could have brought. And we ain't got room. I'm Michael Stitchens If we had a, another range of mountains... We wouldn't have, you know, we'd have to sh- knock down a post office. It's not fair. Our own. There's no room for our own mountains. <laughs> no mountains. We've got any mountains. I live in Grace Furrock. There's no mountains at all. And they were allowed to bring their own the whole range. Peru, they've got far. the Andes. I've got half of them. Yeah. Yeah, they will. Give it by yeah. what do you reckon? By about October. Well, we've got billions of people coming in now, according to Suella Braverman. I literally use the word billion in a Daily Mail article. Not, not million. Billion, actually, billion. the B word. Actual billion. Incredible. So, you know, billion. all bets are off. A billion so mountain. I wonder what you would have to do to get a billion people here. I wonder if you've got, like, every every fleet of aircraft, all aircraft, all fly, all holidays around the world were cancelled, and, mm. and they just, all airlines... Around the world, American Airlines, Indian, everyone was just air aflot the lot, just took people, packed their planes full of people. I don't want to go. I live it. No, we've got we've got to. It's the new rule, and we've we've got to see. It's like a modern record breakers. We're going to see if we can get a billion people. I wonder if it would be possible within ten years. Shoulder to shoulder. I don't know. You'd need you'd need a worldwide effort. And you're right, it would. You'd have you'd have the, the, the latter day Roy Castle there counting. And they used to see how many people they could get in a mini or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many people get, yeah. Except that loads of them would have died by the time you got the last Oh no, it doesn't Detail. count. We've got to get Detail. another seven hundred yeah. from Qatar. <laughs> a billion people. We don't do this. Be a billion people could be making their way here by tea time. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mar- that's uh, marvelous. But yeah, but yes, as as you, uh, yeah, and I, that, that is very important to say because I think I mean, surely even the because um, uh, what I find with your when I'm listening to your program, my son incidentally is an absolute devotee. Oh, legend! And I um, give him my best. He he and I think that 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 it sort of it's it feels that like you're. You are trying to sort of win people round to start with until they, you know, unless they go completely off the edge. I am now. I, I didn't used to. I, I, I kind of used to be, I think, quite aggressive. I, 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 I mean, uh, winning the argument, uh, whether you were right or wrong. Do you see what I mean? So the mm. skills that you use, it's quite a, I mean, for me, it's quite a public school thing. I see it a lot in, um, in Johnson and Cameron and, and people like that, where, you know, we were doing debates when we were teenagers and you'd sometimes debate the opposite of what you actually believe because right. it was the greater intellectual challenge. And, and, I, 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 and I'd sort of spent my life like that without realising that it wasn't entirely authentic. So, yeah, I used to, I used to just revel in the destruction, in the, in the win. But then a few years ago, things sort of started changing a bit for me. I had quite a lot of therapy. And realised that it's not a win. Even if you leave someone in a puddle of their own tears on the floor, you haven't changed a single mind. You haven't won an mm. argument. If the person that you're so, I tend to be a lot less uh, combative now, a lot more sparing. As you say, occasionally someone will come along who needs a bit of a slap, but generally, it's 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 a better radio as well. I worried for a while that I was sort of therapising myself out of a job because you, you you think this is what 
the public want. They want the gladiator. They want the mm. the public executions. They they want those sort of slanging matches and the because that's how the genre has always operated, really. Usually with right wing people doing it. So I kind of had a liberal approach, but the tactics of a traditional radio phone in host. But um, but it's worked really well. Actually, you learn more from people as well, and and you give them more rope so that if they are going to use it, ultimately to to you know, metaphorically hang themselves, then there's even more of it if the politer you've been. So so it is, yeah, I, I, what I want is I, the emails I get from people who say that, you know, I, I, I was in the EDL when I started listening to your show. I don't get these every day. I wouldn't want to pretend that. But I do get lovely emails from people and, and messages and people stop me in the street and say, you've changed the way that, that I look at things. And I don't think I was doing that when I was smashing people over the head with with my opinions. Well, that's fascinating because as someone who you knows, was in a far left group and everything, mm. and uh, uh, um, yeah, sort of gently, gently winning people round was never normally the method, really. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's a good parallel actually because that 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 kind of angry uh, accusatory tone that you often get on 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 the hard left it, is 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 not really conducive to recruitment is it on a on no, a, it's on a not, gentle I, level I, I sort of you know i, I also have sympathy for where they're, where they're coming from sort of yes, maybe oh, in a way course. but i was doing a, a a little tryout show sometimes comics always do little shows you know when you're sort of working out your material there's a lovely place in brighton that i always do that's above a heavy metal pub and there's about 60 oh, yeah. seats there. there's a lovely little place and someone came along and it was during a period when i think i think it was one it was the time when Someone in the Labour right, I mean, Smith had challenged Corbyn right. or something. And this person came along and they were giving leaflets out. And uh, the guy who ran the venue, he said, I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, at, I'm in the Labour Party and I'm going to vote for Owen Smith. And this woman who was giving the leaflets out just screamed for about five minutes, you fucking idiot, you don't know what she fucking, how can you? You fucking, after about five, and when she finished, I, I just said, do you think that one in round... <laughs> and 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 to her she credit, she, to, him up. <laughs> she, did, she did sort of go, oh no, no, yeah, yeah. It's just, but you know, but the reason that, that upset me so much that little incident is because I think thirty years that would have been me, definitely. Right. You know, if we're talking about therapy, we ate what uh, we see in ourselves, don't we? I think that would have been me. And then uh, yeah, I'm just put like in a relationship, you know, you sort of you, you shout some really witty retort to your partner and you think, Oh, I hope the neighbours heard that through the wall. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was fucking banging. It's a zinger. But you know, but then all your furniture disappears and you never see them again. But but, <laughs> but the anger's real. It's just misdirected, I think. I I got that a lot when I still do really with um, with 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 Jeremy Corbyn supporters, and I, I began wondering about a year ago whether I'd allowed my own opinions of him to be coloured by his foot soldiers because they're so mm. rude and and unpleasant on social media, so aggressive and so dismissive of anybody who isn't immediately complete. I wonder whether he's actually reaped a, a, a little bit that he doesn't deserve because he's he's kind of associated with the some of the aggression and, and, and I would say obnoxiousness of some of his most committed support. Oh, now I I yes, I, I agree with you there because I've been the recipient, probably nowhere near as much as you have, but I, <laughs> I get that. And I've not even said anything against him, nothing, no, really. You don't have to. But, I, don't have but to. then I got this week, someone just called me a Blairite cunt. Oh, and I just thought, right, well, all right, I'll take the second half of that. But <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know. Really? And... Uh, um, 
Yeah, and then I saw Jeremy Corbyn doing an interview this week uh, after he was suspended from the Labour Party. And, I, and it, it was a bit like I thought, oh, I forgot how you were actually very measured and you're, 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 you were sort of very keen to not make it personal. I thought, I forgot you actually, you know, I, I personally think he is a very, very lovely, sweet, well-meaning bloke. I think that's, you know, that's a very base level, but that clearly is a guy. And you even forget that. And I, I do agree, I've definitely been... My, uh, yes, my impression of, impression of him has definitely been, I don't know why, but I don't know yeah. about you, James, but when someone calls you a Blairite cunt, it tends yeah. you not to, not to warm to the... No, <laughs> and, and, but, but he wouldn't, would he? I've only met him very, very briefly. I never got the chance to interview him, but he, 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 he wouldn't do that. And I suppose, you know, that, that refusal or failure to take responsibility for, for, for some of the nasty stuff that was going on under... His leadership, some of it really, really nasty, much worse than than you and I being abused as centrist melts. Or, or I'm not going to say the c word; <laughs> it will get clipped up and it will haunt me for the rest of my career. Um, but but the, the 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 that he did, he could probably have done more to disassociate himself from it. But if he was here, he'd probably say, "Why? Why should I? I don't endorse it, so why should I have to disassociate myself from it?" But it didn't help. It just you you say that name, and I don't think of him in in his amenable mode. I, I think of the, the sort of insults that you've just you've just shared, and they didn't come from him, did they? But they came. No, no, no. They would ne- no, no. They never would. No, he was he oh. was almost infuriatingly mm. sort of measured and. Except when he's ma- not, he does get a bit petulant. I think there was a clip this week. Someone was just trying to ask him about. Um, see, I think he's great when he's in charge. When he's you know here we are. Someone said to me he's never happier than when he's photocopying leaflets and putting them through letterboxes and then stopping for a chat with people about whatever's on the leaflet. But don't <laughs> don't veer off the leaflet. Don't start asking him about how he feels about being suspended or how he feels oh, about right, not, right. Being, not being out. So there was a Sky News journalist this week who, who just, you know, he's a prominent politician. He's, he's headline news again this week. So she, she sees him on, on in Westminster, sticks a microphone in his face, and there's just that. There's a thin... I don't know. He sometimes veers into petulance that can look quite unpleasant, especially he's quite a big lad, I think. And she was quite a small woman and he lent him very close to the camera. So he's not he's not quite the um, cuddly creation of, 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 of it some... It must be so hard, though, Judge. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be sort of like, I feel sorry for politicians or anything, but I do no, on some occasions, I think, if you're sort of, if you, especially if you're prominent and you've got a camera on you, sort of like everything you do, and mm. you've only once got to lean into someone and go, oh, that's come on, true, mate, especially true. if someone's been calling you all sorts of horrible names. Yeah, well, that's come on, true. that's no good. And that, I'm just raising my arm there, <laughs> would be enough to go, look at this. Yeah, he's... he's- Yes, no, I did. It's a very good point. And and that little, I think that's why they tried to bring in legislation, didn't they, around Parliament Green that would have prevented people. Steve Bray's always there um, fighting the good fight. But but yeah, I mean, if you're getting targeted by someone with a loud hailer, for example, every single day, every time you you, you cross his path, I, I think you're very fair to suggest that patients may run out in a way that wouldn't be wouldn't be characteristic in normal circumstances. Yes, yes. All right. Well, that's uh, that. Uh, this now will be uh, more evidence that I am the the BC person. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes they what go, "Oh, me? I see you can't even you'd be bothered to reply." They go, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's a line. There's a weird place on Twitter where you you you, you do reach an almost zen like pick and choose mode. I remember in my early days on it, I'd I'd I'd, I'd get all. Flipping heartbeat and and and, and okay, how dare you? I'm going to challenge that from someone whose account was 
a packet of cigarettes or something was their avatar and there's no name on there or anything. And you'd sort of think, what am I doing? But then there comes a point where there's just so much of it that you really can just zone in and zone out and, and, I want to meet the packets of, cig- packets yes. of cigarettes first. <laughs> so, so I've been campaigning for the reintroduction <laughs> of cigarettes as a bona fide method of sponsorship for the snooker, and you, all you go on about is fucking Brexit. It could be that. It could be something like that. But no, you, you don't. You haven't replied. What do you expect? So if someone comes along and calls you something vile, and then I don't know. The, my favourites are probably the people who boast about being blocked. So someone comes, someone comes along and says, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, they say something horrible about your mum. So you just go, all right, I'll block you then. And then six months later, you're looking at a, a profile and it says proudly blocked by James O'Brien and Mark Steele and Owen Jones or whatever it is. And you think, when did this person say, do it? Oh, you're the bloke who said that thing about my mum. Of course I blocked you. What do you expect? Does it? It's not because the power of your arguments was so immense that I had to go, I had to scurry yeah. into, into, into my hidey hole. And it's just, it's, you made a shit joke about my mum. You know? Yeah, I see you didn't reply to my point about <laughs> yes. your mum. Yes, yes, and, yes. And all, exactly. all, the, all the dustmen who work for Ilford Council <laughs> and the shenanigans <laughs> no. you got up to with them. And I you conclude, didn't. therefore, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's funny, except when uh, it isn't. So, what's what do you uh, give us an example, if you can? Sorry, I put you on the spot. Of say, someone who has uh, obviously the EDL person is is extreme, but someone who might have changed over the course of a of, of a call because uh, you know I have heard those on your on your show. The course right, of the call, the course of the call is hard. Uh, I mean, you hope that you're sort of scattering seeds around the place and some of them uh, uh, will land on stony ground so it's as much about the listener as the caller one i always think of and it wasn't fireworks or 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 pistols at dawn but it was so it was so complete really the turnaround and it began from a position of such certainty and it was just someone ringing in to explain to me why political correctness is actually a very bad thing right and why i should you know and it wasn't aggressive I'll tell you what it was. I can actually remember the details, which is increasingly rare as the uh, as the years pass. But it was he had a a school uniform shop. He was a school uniform supplier, and it was one of those stories about they weren't going to have boys and girls sections at John Lewis anymore. They were just going to have children's sections, or, or so, do you know those sort of stories yeah, that yeah, come yeah, along? Yeah. And there's rarely much to them, but if you if you frame the headline right, you can claim that it's a you know an assault upon our children and and this bloke quite understandably because it's his livelihood had 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 taken the bait and he rang in to tell me why it was awful and couldn't because it, it, it essentially day to day your customers are going to be exactly the same and the stuff that you're selling is exactly the same all that's changed potentially is a bit of vocabulary. So there's no actual meaningful change to your life. It's just you feel like something has been taken away. And in order to make you feel like something has been taken away, they have called it political correctness. Yeah, and we yeah, did yeah. the old we did the old sort of cod Socratic dialogue where I kept asking him what he meant by things. And it, and it ended with him saying, I suppose political correctness just means having good manners, really, doesn't it? And I said, and, and, and what's wrong with that? And it was a lovely moment where oh, right, he sort yeah, of that's, that's yeah 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 he, no, he, that is 
It just, I mean, I know there are ridiculous examples from, from the 80s of, of, of councils doing crazy, but that wasn't what he was cross about. He was cross about something relatively innocuous because it, it was as if the phrase, the actual words, it's woke now, so we must be going back four or five years, but the words become a magnifying glass. So you have an emotional reaction to something, which is probably exaggerated because that's the nature of tabloid style journalism, get the biggest emotional response you can, whatever the actual facts are. So you've already responded emotionally to it. And somehow these catchphrases, these watchwords, become magnifying glasses. So he, he, because it was political correctness, it's like you start off with a glimmer of, of irritation at something that has been done. Then you add the catalyst of, of, of vocabulary. You add the words that are now enraging, the word woke, the words political. And, and suddenly his rage or his unhappiness, his disapproval had been hugely... Um, increased and it's nice sometimes to just turn the dial back down again and take him back to where he really should have been which is where well, it seems a bit daft to be not saying boys and girls clothes anymore but it's probably not part of some yeah, massive some, secret conspiracy yes, to, that started to, in venezuela i know yes, you sort exactly, of um <laughs> exactly <laughs> when, I mean, sometimes we should responding in kind and that say say right there we are the elizabeth line Named mm. after uh, late Majesty, maybe we should go. Oh, we have to call it uh, after the late Queen, do we? It's political correctness gone mad. Why yeah. can't it just be the West Reading to East London line? But oh no, the woke brigade. That's funny, isn't it? I love that idea of of doing it a bit like what didn't was it John Thompson used to do with Bernard Wright on? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And just yeah. that complete subversion of what you're expecting to yes. happen, and yet suddenly go, oh, hang on a minute, that's what the other lot do all the time. Yeah, yeah, it why would work it, quite well. Yeah, why should it? Why should things get named after all the things that are named after? You've got um, enough named the, after. No one's going to forget yeah, her. Yeah, are they? Exactly. Should call it. Oh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's always just to think that about those estates in in like um, Protestant Belfast and that up the yes. Shankle Road. Where they put that they paint red, white, and blue on the paving stones, even because yeah, yeah, they think yeah. if she walks down here and all she sees is Union Jacks on all the windows and all the roofs, what if she looks down for a minute? She'll go, Oh, they don't like me at all. <laughs> Traitors. <laughs> Traitors. They've done it a bit today with, with, with just like slightly similar talking about slavery and the Guardian's decision or, or revelation that they're built on that their founder had heavy involvement in the slave trade. And and then all the people, which you can predict like clockwork, getting in touch to to pretend that they've got relevant points to make about the Romans having enslaved the Welsh, or did they oh, need yeah, to yeah, apologise? Yeah. All these self-appointed geniuses, and then the Daily Mail position on it, which is always, well, why are we talking about this? It happened years and years ago, and you sort of think, well, that means we'll never mention Winston Churchill again, yeah. doesn't it? Because if that's going to be the benchmark, it's that we'll never mention the Second World War or the First World War or the bloody Empire, because if we're not talking about stuff that is embarrassing or shaming for the for the nation because it is so long ago, then you can't really talk about the stuff that you think you're proud of. So it would work quite well in that context. Now they're making us wear a poppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yes, well, I, do, I, I do a joke about it every show. I say, um, and then, do you know what? This is terrible. I can't remember now if this is true or not. <laughs> but, <laughs> I think it might be. But what is true, the start of it is true, that Katie Hopkins... Uh, put on social media. I called my daughter Poppy, so I'll remember. Will you? So, and I did. I think it's true. I did reply to her. It was coming up to Poppy. I replied to her. Uh, I agree. That's why I've got three kids, and I called a mud trench and mustard gas. <laughs> oh, it's the sort of 
yeah. Also, yeah. Just the, the lack of logic of it is so. Yeah, it's it's formative, very... isn't it? It's always so much of it is before, and you're not supposed to stop and think. This is the thing. As I get older, I get more frustrated by the, the invitation to turn your brain off and just to start hurling stuff. That's nonsense, isn't it? My favorite. I got a tweet off her once that said, "I'm coming for your job." Um, I'm, I'm, that, that's worked out well for her. <laughs> Mind you, I think she's pretty mercenary, though, uh, James. I think she do. I think if she 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 took take a six month crash course in, she had a go. It, she had a go at doing it on LBC. Oh, did she? Yeah, they gave her a run out. It was an interesting period when I, my, my I was I was on the roster with Hopkins, Farage, quite a few other people, not as toxic as them. I, I did somewhat stick out on that schedule. It's it's changed now. It's almost the other way around. If it was like a normal job, uh, yeah. oh blimey, I've got uh, I've got to take the, the kids to the dentist tomorrow. Katie, can you stand in for me? Yeah, can you yeah. cover no, for me I shift she, tomorrow? I think love? she did. I think she did my <laughs> shift on one occasion. And you're always walking a bit of a tightrope. So things have gone a bit nuts for me, say, in the last five or six years. But before that, you're always conscious of being. Hey, we're all dispensable, but I, I I wouldn't have kicked up a fuss about that at one point because I would have not wanted to kick up a fuss so you do end up in some strange i think she did my holiday cover once and i may i may actually have i think i did say can we not do that again can we find someone less controversial like maybe Paul pot so your your edl person would have been yeah would, would have rung up Great, and, yeah, that's probably how he, that's probably how he going, got hooked in yeah you're, you're you're worse than me darling in the first place <laughs> your voice has oh, gone God, a all bit all i want is to be sent home but you, yeah, you've gone no, way further love no, sorry sliced and dice I don't know how familiar you are with this podcast, James, but we have uh, someone who comes on here, Mike Concrete. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, he's, he gently teases out opinions, and he's learned a lot from you, I think. Good. Um, it, is, it is the truth, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, so, oh, now, I was going to uh, ask you something else. Yes, so, now, this is probably the, the stupid question that is the equivalent of what when people say to comics, how did you get started then? And yeah. I always make something up because it's just how not interesting. How did you get started? How did you? Did you go activism to comedian or did you? No, no, no. I was always a comic first. Were you? Yeah. Because I, I always I make something up. So I just say whatever comes to me. After, you know, I used to work for a greengrocer company. Uh, for, is that I not just, true? No, I'm just making it up. I think you up. told me that when I interviewed you. <laughs> I used to be, I, I know people believed it. I sort of, it started off when I was on midweek with Libby Purvis. Yeah. And the researcher rang me up a couple of days before and she said, um, uh, and she said, how did you get started in comedy? And I said, it's really not interesting. Please, let's not talk about that. And she said, well, you know, it will be interesting. And I said, well, only if I make something up. So she said, well, go on. And I said, Oh, all right. I said, well, my dad was a Polish diplomat. And every year I used to go with him to Katowice or Gdansk or something. And I didn't know any Polish. And uh, the only Polish I did know was a couple of Polish jokes, because that's the easiest way to learn Polish is the jokes. So one Christmas he made a speech and then they all insisted. I got up and said a couple of words in this great big vodka factory. So I got up and said a <laughs> couple of jokes and they went really really well and word got out and i got booked to do a regular slot in the comedy club in warsaw and i <laughs> so now how many holes are there in that story so i and she said really i said no i'm making it up and then two days later i was on midweek with libby purvis live on wednesday mm. morning or something and she said now mark still now you had a mother rather an exotic beginning to your career didn't you 
I said, did I? Oh, Mark's being rather <laughs> humble. His father was a Polish diplomat. Look, no, no, stop, stop. <laughs> and it all went out. And I, oh, so now there are people oh, in this sort of it. I think it was on Wikipedia at one point. Yeah, I've made all sorts of things up. Well, I said to, to one, <laughs> one of them, I, I just think, well, you can't believe this. I said, I was, I always wanted to play football and I played football for Bexley Heath in the Kent League. And um, But I was terrible, really. But I used to be really good at telling jokes at half time and it had really spurred the team on. And so uh, I got dropped from the team, but they kept me in the squad just so I could tell jokes. And one week, the jokes inspired people so much. The team was 3-0 down at half-time and won 4-3. And that got printed in the in the, some Bexley Gazette or something. Sensational. Sensational. But anyway, that, it was just boring. I just wanted to do it and I rang up some theatres. Anyway, so what's... But even more exotic is that to become a... Because you haven't done it, you, you're obviously a journalist and so on. But yeah. at what Not for very point? At you know, what point did you think I'm the person who can sit there for three hours did. discussing things with people? I, I never did. I, so I, I want my dad was a newspaper journalist. I, I wanted to be like him, but I what, couldn't. What papers was he writing? He, he ended up. He, he finished his career on the Telegraph. I mean, which was a very different newspaper to what it is now. He got made redundant during my last year at public school, and I didn't realise until he died what a what a blow that must have been because they would finally have had some money for themselves. You know, there's so much yeah. money went on my school fees that I, I hadn't really appreciated it. Um, I, I, I never really got the chance to have that conversation with him. But 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 anyway, that's by the by. He had a good job on the Telegraph, uh, you know, uh, and was the Midlands correspondent. So he did all the industry, all the stuff like that. I never really thought much about it. I just wanted to be a journalist. Like lots of people want to follow their dads into the diplomatic corps or, uh, or the greengrocer. <laughs> trade or whatever whatever it may be um and it wasn't happening i i i was never going to be a good news journalist i haven't i because I, I get too shy i get too nervous around people i got i i got turned down for every traineeship going i finally flogged a suit to john major a white suit to john major i was working in menswear at the time when he was on spitting image with gray skin and everything so i knew that was worth a, a lead in the william hickey column at the time or the ross benson column i think it was when he was prime minister yeah, when he was prime minister, all the tailors were off sick at the shop where I worked. So me and another lad got sort of charged with kitting out John Major and he bought something navy blue. And then at the end of it, he had an EU summit coming up in Florence. And he just said, oh, I fancy something a little bit different. And so we sort of go through the swatches of cloth and he picks a white suit. It was um, it was incredible, really. So I phoned up the Express Gossip Column. I had a mate who was working on it. He didn't really want me to get shifts because he wanted me just to give him the stories. You see what I mean? So I'd be mm. a source for him, whereas I was desperate to get into journalism and it was beginning to disappear over the horizon. They they bought that off me and instead of giving me cash, I said, can I have a couple of shifts? Did a couple of shifts. Um, it, I was very, very bad, but I just squeaked over over the wire to getting on the roster regularly and I got better and better and better at it. I became showbiz editor quite quickly. Um, didn't enjoy it. I was drinking too much. It should have been great. I was going to film premieres, all of that. Um, but I was just oddly unfulfilled and unsatisfied and then channel five were launching a show a daytime show which matthew wright was helming who i knew from the showbiz journalism beat and just out of nowhere they just came along and said you fancy doing this at the time it would have been in conjunction we'd have done the tv show in the morning and then gone back to our day jobs in the afternoon uh, or the rest of the day but then they decided they were going to film it in norwich so we had to choose between the newspaper jobs and, and and the TV job, and I just fancied it. I'd, 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 I'd 
recently got married. My wife is an amazing woman who gives me confidence to do things I wouldn't have had the confidence to do otherwise. And she said, look, you're not happy. You thought you'd be happy when you got to editor level. You're not. Um, you'd probably be really good at this. I'd obviously done a lot of other TV shows having an argument about the death penalty with Peter Hitchens or, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that slightly unsatisfying circuit. And then we just launched the right stuff in Norwich. Did that for about 18 months. That petered out. Moved back to London. They changed the format. I, I kind of got squeezed out of that. I didn't know what I was going to do. And again, I said to my wife, I'm going to have to go back to newspapers. And she said, well, give yourself a chance. I realise now, she was being very diplomatic when she said, you're very good at broadcasting. I said, I'm going to have to go back to newspapers. She said, but you're very good at broadcasting. I thought, ah, I realise now what the subtext of that was, which was that I wasn't very good at uh, uh, getting stories. I can write. And then I just floated around for about six months doing paper reviews, didn't have kids, you know, mortgage wasn't huge. She was working. We were fine. And then I was, I'll tell you what happened. I was doing Channel 5 News mm-hmm. when Kirsty was doing it. And it, they had that format oh, yeah. where you'd sit on a little, so you'd sit on yeah, a yeah. bench and Kirsty would lean back and they'd have two guests on to do the, to do the, to talk about the news. It was about half of the bulletin. It was a nice little slot that you, you got, you could stretch your legs a bit. Sometimes you're very constricted. And David Meller had been booked as right. the other, as the other guest, but it was during the football, it was during the World Cup and he got pissed and didn't turn up. And they couldn't, I presume he was pissed. He certainly didn't turn up and he didn't apologize. They're trying to ring him and he's not picking up his phone. And so they bring up a lovely woman called Sandy War, who worked for LBC, which was in the basement at Gray's Inn Road where ITN was based. Yeah, yeah, so you had all the TV stuff. And she was sort of on a sort of permanent standby because she did the drive time show, which meant she would definitely be in the building every day and she'd definitely be available. So in case of emergencies, break glass and, and Sandy would come and, and fill whatever slot the guest hadn't turned up or, you know, got stuck in the lift or whatever it was. And, and we got on well. I like, I liked her a lot. We had a good chat on air and off. And she just said, have you ever done any radio? I said, not really. I I, only as a guest. And she goes, well, I'm off on holiday next week and my holiday cover's just fallen through and you should phone my program controller. And again, I I was one of those people, I ring numbers on the old fashioned phones and then slam it down. I was always so nervous. I used to ring the speaking clock. When I was on the gossip columns, the boss would say, could you give so-and-so a ring and ask them if they know about X, Y, and Z? And i go, yeah, I'll do that, certainly. The third, uh, the third stroke, the time sponsored by Accurist will be... No comment, John. No comment on that, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay, just... Um, asked about the recent possible cabinet split, the, the Home Secretary said... The time sponsored by Atlas. <laughs> I could have come through after lunch. That would have been great. So I just got nervous, but for some reason I made that call and they got me in and, um, and I never really left. I'd had a quite a big tax bill to pay because I hadn't, because I'd lost the TV job and you always think you're going to earn next year what you earned last year, don't you? You never think that there's going to be a big pothole. So I, I, I went in, I did, I did all the weird shifts. They got bought by another company. I didn't get a slot, and then they phoned me up just before launch. I said, oh, terribly sorry, I forgot. We, we want you to do Sunday nights. So I went in and did Sunday night. Six months later, weekend breakfast, and then six months after that, where I am now. doing so, the sort of thing you're doing now with people yeah, ringing yeah, up yeah. and going, yeah, oh, James, yeah. first-time caller. I mean, I, you know, I'm all, in... All of that, long-time listener. I've been down to, uh, I've been down to our own base. Exactly no geraniums. What's going on, mate? Sunday night was tough. I mean, the first one I ever did, no one rang. 
and, and it hadn't been a phone-in show before. It had been Pete Murray. Do you remember Pete oh, Murray? Oh, Pete Murray, bless him. Yes, he was, on, he was on Radio 2 in the morning. He'd been everywhere. Great mm. broadcaster. But he did his own show in that slot, which didn't involve taking phone calls. And listeners are creatures of habit. So it's it, you can't just turn up and say, right, it's a phone-in show now, and everyone rings you. So I, I t- it's 10 o'clock Sunday night, um, and I get to t- – I'm, I'm setting out my stall. And I'd done it before. As a as a swing presenter in in you know filling in the gaps as they were slowly rebuilding the schedule after the company was sold I, I, they sacked someone and that means I got a fortnight's work filling in for them and desperately hoping that I was going to get a permanent gig so but but this was my first time with my name above the door the first time in the actual schedule and and no one rang I and I mean no one because <laughs> you know you can see the numbers you can see the the phone lines light up and there are some that might have warnings on them, say only in emergency or rings every day, but there was nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing. 10, 15, 10, 30, 10, 45, 11 o'clock. We've done a full hour <laughs> and I haven't had a single phone call and I'm talking and I'm good at talking, but crikey, there's a limit you, to you how many. To, to text someone and go, bring us up, mate. Well, I wasn't I'd thinking straight. I'd love well, to do it. This is what happened. Well, it doesn't happen anymore, mate. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, the, 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 and I see this, finally it flashes up, and I think, I've, I've, I know that number. This is back to, to, you know, 20 years ago, so you'd actually be, still be able to know numbers off by heart. Mm. And it was my wife, and she rang in with a fake name. And, oh. uh, and, and she'd realized, she'd clocked what had happened and, and came in, and, and it, it caught, kind of broke the seal. Well, it didn't break what did the seal she say? Where did she pretend to be? Did she, 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 she was in the, in the same place. I think she called herself Miranda. From uh, Kensal Rise or Queen's Park, Labbrook Grove, we were living at the time, and she 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 just was a good, competent um, caller. But then my best mate, who'd also been listening, I'll just say that is about as sweet, romantic right? a thing as I've ever heard. Yeah, no, she, well, like she, a beautiful you know, short story. Imagine if she hadn't; I'd still be there now. I'd still be there now, <laughs> desperately stringing it out, trying to get some. And then my mate rang in, Luke, who's an actor. And for reasons that I've never asked him about, he decided to do it in a Northern Irish accent. <laughs> so he starts a full-on, hey, now, Brian Kai. And, it's a, he, and he starts off like that. And obviously two or three, and I keep him on for a lot longer than he was expecting because there's no other bugger <laughs> waiting to talk to me. And halfway through, he just forgets. The Northern Irish accent just completely disappears <laughs> and he resorts to his sort of Notting Hill twang, his estuarine Notting Hill twang. But those two, my wife and my good friend, they create that, that. Then people realised it was a phone in, and they started ringing in, and and we got we got away with it. We got away with it. Oh, brilliant! Oh no, do you think you get many fake ones? Like Peter Cook famously used to ring in and pretend to be a Norwegian fisherman, didn't he? Uh, they they were poetry though, weren't they? That was Clive mm. Bull, who is absolutely one of the legends of the medium, and and those some of those calls from Peter Cook were things of absolute beauty. I think Dom Jolly's just done a a documentary on him or just done something looking back at those tapes and those, and he rang into a colleague the other day, actually pretending to be someone else, but no, you, you got pretty good antennae. Um, it, it's, and it, the producers. <coughs> can, I tell you, the can we see, right, let's try this out. You're, so you be, you're, you're on and, <clears> I, and I'm ringing in and I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be Dave from uh, Chelmsford. Yeah. Hi Dave. What's on your mind? Uh, well, you know, I saw these. They're all wandering about, aren't they? They're everywhere. Who's that then? Hey, oh, come on. Don't, don't give me that. You know what I'm talking about. You're not allowed to say these days, are you? I promise you're allowed to say it to me. What, 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 I don't know who you're talking about. 
Oh, you know, all the people from, you know, who aren't from around here, they're just everywhere. They're, I've seen four this morning. There was uh, two round the back of the house, and then there was two in the park. And they might have been the same two twice, but I'm counting them as four. How can you tell where they're from? Just but did you talk to them at all? I couldn't talk to them. They're talking different, you know, different words. They're not but words I know. know. That's the trouble these days. Everywhere you go, there's people using words you don't know. You know, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a, you know, I'm a, words are a stranger in their own country these days. And and why why does this bother you so much? And did you want to talk to them? Are you are you? No, I don't want to a... talk to them. I've got a bit, I've got stuff to do. I've got you know I've got a, the yeah. boogies to go to. I've got yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got paint to buy. We're supposed to be doing a uh, you know. And you can uh, still do all of that. They, they, these are these corners of your community. Not if they're talking to me in a foreign language. I don't know the Polish for paint. But they're not putting a Polish fella in the bookies, are they? Who doesn't speak English? Well, I don't know. That's well, no. But this is the thin end of the wedge. It starts off with them in the park, and the next thing, and they won't. They, you know, they don't blend in, do they? What if they learn English? Eh? What if they well, learn? We shouldn't English? let them learn English. You should speak. You know. What's the point? <laughs> yeah. They've got too many Zs. They won't <laughs> do it properly. There's a lot of Zs. Yeah. There's a lot of Zs. That's not far from one of the ones that actually happened quite early on. And this is when I actually started changing my approach slightly. It was John in Hounslow, it was. And and he said what you just said. He said you can't say can't say what you want without being called racist. And and I said, Well, I won't call you racist. I promise I won't call you racist. And and, and and he said, I said, what do you want to say? And he said, there are too many Pakistanis in Hounslow. And I thought, Christ. I mean, that's quite a moment on the radio because mm. it's, mm. it's obviously a racist thing to say. It, and, and it's uncomfortable and you're live. But I've made this little pledge that, that we're, we're not going to cut him off. And, 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 and I said, I'm, I'm, what's wrong with that? Why, why is that a problem for you? Just like I just did with you. And he says, well, they smell. And I'm like, okay, John. And remember, it's just a bit like being on stage for you. You're in the moment and you don't know what, what, sometimes it just works. It just the right words come. So I said, what do they smell of? And there's a pause and he went, curry. And there's another pause and I'm thinking, uh, when you're in full speed and slow motion at the same time, mentally. I said, and do you like curry, John? There's another pause. Yeah, yeah, I do. Sorry. And uh, I don't need to do anything else, do I? That's the it. Thing it's is, on it. All these people around these days, they <laughs> smell of a smell I like. Yeah. I, do, I wonder. <laughs> so you do sort of wonder if at some point there he's gone, do you know what? Mm. You're right. Yeah. All these know, years. <laughs> yeah. I know. It was like when Farage came on and he was, he'd been doing his shtick about. Um, People talking foreign on trains. Yes. See, we've done we've done that thing. We've both done, and it's more of a stretch for me than it is for you. But we've both done an accent then when we're doing these these mm. callers, and that's actually a mistake. Because, yes, it's unfair. Yeah. Yeah, because Farage, you know, is 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 your sort of pound shop public schoolboy, and he 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 spouts exactly the same crap. He just says it in a different accent. Yeah, so he he's just right. done his he he's just done his shtick about people speaking foreign on trains, and he ends up in the studio. It's quite a convoluted story how he ended up there. Um, but I, I point out to him that his children probably speak German to his wife at home, given the fact yes. that they're they're half German and she's German and she's and and he, and you can see that thing. It's like saying, "What do they smell of?" And he just goes, well, "I don't imagine they do it on trains." And you just what <laughs> they, do, they do they do so they speak foreign to each other 
all the time, but not on a train. It was actually the train. <laughs> it was the train that offended your sensibilities, not the actual yes. deployment of foreign languages. And so, uh, you, you know, but, usually yeah, these balloons are quite okay. easy to pop. Quite there was a thing I was thinking, because yes, well, I've got exact words, but it was something like, yeah, I was on a train the other day and I heard three people speaking foreign languages. It didn't make yeah. me feel rather uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm like, that's yeah, it. Well, that's, that's mental illness. If you hear mm. a foreign language and mm. you go, well, that's mm. like being one of these people who's scared of buttons. You need yes. to go and, and see someone. Yes, yes, I, it is. There is one, and I must talk about this because I know we've talked about this before, but I, it actually made me howl. And it's not because I didn't like the bloke. I actually did. I thought he was, I thought he came over quite well in a funny sort of way. And my memory of it is, tell me if you remember this, you said, uh, right, what's your problem with the, you know, he was complaining about all the rules, all the rules. And uh, it was after the referendum and a Brexit and the negotiations and all that. And he said, I'll tell you what we should do, right, if they cut it with a French, right, I'm doing the act, but I think he did sort of like this. With each <laughs> French, right, they're all mucking up and, I don't know, saying fish or whatever it is they're talking about, right, and all that, I don't know, bits of biscuit or whatever it is. Right, I'll tell you what, right, we simple. What we do is we just say to the French, you can't come in here no more. That's it. You can't come in. That's the end of it, right? We're not allowing you in. You, you come by boat, you can't, you've got to go straight back. That's it, that'll sort it. And, and you said, as I remember, yeah, but then they do the same to us and say, you can't go to France. And he went, now, <laughs> I thought about that, James, and the thing is, I don't want to go to France. <laughs> and I thought, well, I thought, I think, I think got you, me. you've got him there. He's got me back to right. <laughs> Perfectly reciprocal. Perfectly reciprocal. There was another one. I don't want to go to France. Yeah, well, he's, you know, it's good. He's, he's keen, uh, but there was another one who was complaining. Do you remember this guy? I just thought it was oh. brilliant. He was complaining about all the rules, and you were doing that thing, going, name one of the rules. And yeah. you go, well, name one of the rules. All different. All different. I should all only different. ever have got away with that once or twice, right? You'd have thought by then you're not going to get Because it's like you could see it from about 100 bloody miles away. Well, they used 20, to say in it, aren't they, in the past? 2017 or 2018. I've done it 100 times. I'm doing it every day. I'm doing it several times a week. I it's the rules. Okay, could you just run me through all of them? Yeah. All of them. Go on. Well, this one? one particular bloke, his rules yeah. were, right, all right, um, all right, all of them. And then you say, which one? Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about. All that. And yeah. then he went, well, the sockets. <laughs> oh, because yeah. the sockets, right, they've yeah. got different sockets from us. I don't like their sockets. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you made the perfectly reasonable point that you only get their sockets in Europe, you don't have them here, so you can't. You don't have to use their sockets unless you go over there. It's yeah, incredible, but- <laughs> and you can. I think he thought that they were going to make us change our sockets. Yeah. Well, we're maybe they get- would have done if we'd stayed in. You don't know. Right, almost certainly, to, almost certainly shows what you know, doesn't but it? But that, I- that, 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 that casting around for something to hang his hat on and coming up with that. There was another one. There was a woman who ended up t- talking to me about how she wanted to be able to wrap her fish and chips in newspaper again, and that was it. That was after a five-minute kind of polite suggestion that she didn't have a bloody clue. We end up with her saying, and, and you're not allowed to wrap your fish and chips in newspaper anymore. I said, well, that's not because I mean, even if it is because of the eat, it's probably quite a good idea not to wrap your dinner in manky old <laughs> bits of paper that have been passed around the doctor's waiting around anyway. And even if they did allow it, it would have to be one of them broadsheet newspapers. Big I want to wrap it up in, exactly. the, in the, the sun. Uh, yes, I, but but I do yeah. at the same time. It is probably anyone listening to all this would not think this at all. But about either in a way. But I do think that when I'm talking to someone like that, and I, you know, 
you obviously do it professionally, but I sort of feel I feel I'm with them in a way, unless they're absolutely rankable. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I do sort of think, no, I understand where you're coming from because, you know, I was from a background full of people mm. like that. And I remember sitting in the pub and how exasperating it was having to deal with nonsense arguments. I mean, you, in your book, there's a, a couple of it, two of the chapters that I think are brilliant. It's one about just sort of the basic, um, about anti-gay feeling. Yeah. And uh, the, the people who ring, particularly people who ring in and start quoting the so, Bible. And you, you yeah, I do enjoy that. You, yeah. You're then able to quote the Bible Leviticus and so on back to them and of course it does but I sort of I love that you know I love that film Inherit the Wind about the um with Spencer Tracy and he's the he's the liberal lawyer who mm. uh, in court uh fights against a guy called Stopes and Stopes is a creationist mm. and in the uh, early years of the 20th century he took the um Whatever the equivalent of the Board of Education is in this particular state to court, because he's, uh, only only creationism should be taught. Yeah. And Spencer Tracy plays the liberal lawyer who defeats him by using all sorts of biblical argument. Where does the where does the light come from on the mm. day one if the sun was only invented after that and all that sort of thing? Mm. <laughs> and um, but the film's quite sympathetic to the guy Stopes. He's sort of he's someone who passionately believes this, and he can't. You just can't let it go. A bit like yes. an old Communist Party member or something who can't quite believe that the Soviet Union was a foul tyranny and or something like that. And uh, I, I don't know if it's a thing about getting older. I, I quite almost admire these people, unless they're being absolutely horrible. No, well, it's it's authenticity that you've you've described. He he genuinely believed that, and it helps him make sense of you know. Hobbes said that. that Life is nasty, brutish, and short. So these things that we cling to, to persuade ourselves that we're not just <clears throat> bits of flotsam and jetsam being tossed on the, on the oceans of fate, whether it's religion or whether it's a hatred. A hatred can, can help you rationalize the world, make sense of the world. That, that's good and that's bad. And, and people cling to it. People derive identity from it. They derive confidence from it. So when it's authentic, it can be sympathetic, as you say, because, because they mean it. And, and then factor in also something I, I feel very strongly about the effort that's put into pushing people into these positions so with with, with that example it would be you know 2000 years of judeo christian doctrine it's not exactly a miracle that someone's ended up betting their house on it on it all being true it, it, people went to the went to the stake in this country 3 or 400 years ago because they had a different flavor of christianity from the one that was sending people to the stake 10 years previously when the current queen's sister was on the throne. So there's always, I mean, these depth of devotion should be respected and sympathized with. And then, then you get the papers telling people all this stuff. So I always think, and I think the answer to this question <clears throat> is, sums up what you're saying. Who's worse? You see the Fox News stuff this week, last week, where it turns out, I mean, surprise, surprise, they knew it was bollocks. They all knew all of the presenters going on air privately swapping messages about what a tosspot Donald Trump is and how insane it is that he's pretending he won the election. They are a million times worse for me than the, than the idiots who believe it, if you yeah, see what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you've no, got someone who actually yeah. believes it and, 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 and is you know out to lunch but genuinely believes it, and then you've got someone stoking up the hatred, disseminating the ignorance, fomenting the division for, 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 for shits and giggles, for money. Or status or power, and 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 it was when Murdoch said in one of those messages, "We're not red or blue, we're green." That I just thought that's it. So that that's what you're talking about—the people who do actually 
it helps hold them together in a way. These these beliefs that we might find fairly toxic or unpleasant, they're authentic as opposed yeah, yeah. to the people doing it for money. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you end up it's being hard quite to tell the difference. Yeah, yes. It's I just got now. We go before we run out of time. Just two mm. tiny, tiny, tiny little subjects just to clear up. Brexit and adoption. Mm. Now, okay, yeah, just little things, little <laughs> trivialities. Now, so, uh, with Brexit, and this is, yes. you know, again, come back to the fact that I sort of think we have, you have to be sympathetic in, to people who, if you're a Remainer, as both of mm. us very much were, I think you have to be sympathetic. First of all, because when the campaign was being run for a second referendum, there were a number of people I saw on the Remain side who were so vitriolic about anyone who voted Leave, and um, I. I think I did challenge one of them on social media, and I said, I think you know, we have to try and win an argument with someone. And someone <laughs> replied to me saying, as far as I'm concerned, anyone who voted leave is an idiot, and I don't want to speak to them. And then I did say, well, then, what's the point of a second referendum? Because it's obviously <laughs> you're obviously not going to win any one round then, are you? <laughs> right, thank God, we've got our second referendum. I, I went up to people and told them that they're idiots a stupid fucking moronic pile <laughs> of spunk, and they yeah, yes, it's a very so good point. I, it's and, we, we started I, in a way. Yes, and I think that if supposing there was a referendum right now, I think I personally would be able to argue it far better than I would at the time, which was barely at all. Basically, I just thought the people I like are mostly on the Remain side, and the people I don't like are mostly on the the Brexit side. That's that will do me. And um, and now I think, oh, right, no, there are a load of really, really good reasons. I didn't know it. So I think that the Remain campaign was rubbish. Yes. But it was, it, was, it, it was so unbalanced, wasn't it? Because the Remain campaign was largely evidence-based, but the mistake they made was, was, was constantly saying this really, really bad stuff is going to happen, not this really, really good stuff is going to stop happening. So you know it's a it's yes, a knife yes, edge, yeah, but, yeah. but but it was disastrous. But the problem was, Mark, they deny it. So you'd say, and I'm exactly the same as you. I wasn't qualified to vote in that referendum. Uh, and, he, and the catchphrase I, I had immediately after was always contempt for the con men, compassion for the con. But you're right, loads of people missed the distinction between the con men and the and they conned and they were conned, and, and that is also obviously insulting. No one likes to be told that they've been conned. But they, they didn't, you would say, of course we're not going to be able to trade in the single market. David Davis saying we'll be in Berlin the day after the vote. We, we, they need us more than we need them. You can't yeah. argue with that. You can't argue with that. You can't say no. Well, you can. You can say, no, we don't. And they'll say, yes, they do. And you'd say, no, we don't. It's a stupid yeah. bloody argument. And then you'd say something like, so this is where the exceptionalism kicked in. Not a particularly xenophobic exceptionalism, but an intellectual exceptionalism. They couldn't conceive of the possibility that we would be a third country just like Turkey. They couldn't conceive of the possibility that, that yeah. England in particular, not just the United Kingdom, but England would be so d diluted that, that surely we're allowed to, to use the analogy that was popular at the time. We, we, can, we can give up our membership and carry on using the gym. Don't be ridiculous. We're, we're British. Yeah, There's yeah. No, no one's going to keep us out of this gym. We bloody built it. And that's where it went wrong. They, they, they lost... They, they they didn't successfully explain that we would lose all of our privileges. And also, uh, for two decades, no one had ever explained we've actually got a better deal than anybody else. If you care about keeping your own currency and you care about rebates and you care about opt-outs, it drives some of the French and German politicians potty what, what has been secured yeah. for, 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 for the Brits over the years in order to assuage the Eurosceptics.
one of the great ironies could be that in 20 years we beg to go back in and they, they and then we're allowed back in the EU but without any of them privileges so we end up being told what to do in the way that Farage said was happening when it wasn't I mean, there's yeah, so many things. My, I'm on tour at the moment, and I've got a brilliant tour manager, Nick, and he's to, he does bands mostly. And he was just explaining the extraordinary length of administration he has to go to now to get a band out into Europe, including things like they're only allowed to go to three separate uh, places, right? So if they go to, if you go to Munich and then Cologne and then Stuttgart, you then have to come back and go back out God, there again, and all through. manner yeah. of things that I, I can't understand. And all of every that. Drumstick, every full, drumstick has its own paperwork. Yeah, Every drumstick has exactly what he was telling me. And, uh, and of course, one of the big selling points of Leave was, at last we will get rid of red tape. <laughs> and I know. really, it was, it, they were complaining. See, I mean, it is surreal it. now. Yeah, it is It is surreal. And, and you know, it, it, it's 2020 hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it's very hard to find anybody who... It's why sovereignty became a, such a watchword so quickly, because people realised pretty quickly that none of the promises they'd made or believed were, were going to be kept. And, and, you know, what happens next? God only knows. There's a great line from one of the European, Un European Union politicians recently talking about how we used to have loads, loads of opt-outs and we were members and now we're not members. We want to have loads of opt-ins. And, and the first one was possible, <laughs> yeah. but the second one just isn't. There's no, there's no sort of loyalty card just because we used to be in the in the in the middle of it and it's not even started yet you're going to get this summer's going to be interesting the queues at the just little things like passport control food coming in all that kind of thing it's just it's so well now they go they're just they're just being vindictive now aren't they they're just being vindictive that's what they they're will doing. say that yeah they're being vindictive yeah. by treating us like non-members of the european yeah. union <laughs> why are they yeah. treating us like we're not members of the europe because we're not members of the european oh dear yeah, we didn't exactly. mean it <laughs> Uh, yeah, I went down a snooker club. Right? I left about six weeks ago. Right? I don't pay my membership no more. I went, I went down, yeah. started playing. Yeah. They, yeah. they said you can't, they, you can't, nothing. They won't let me have the chalk, the balls, the cue, nothing. Fucking vindictive. That's what that is. Um, so lastly, <laughs> I hope we've got two minutes to yeah. talk about this. So something we share is that we were both uh, uh, adopted, James. And so what's, um, uh, and you traced your, you traced your people who gave birth to you. But you tried Not to. really. I, I, I only by, no, I did it by accident during lockdown. I was applying for my Irish passport um, to, to knit these two subjects together with right. particular ease and, oh, and let grace. Me so proper segue. Want... Let me do a proper segue there, like I'm professional. <laughs> Now, one of the things, of course, uh, if you uh, if if you are a someone who's uh, had to go through the the iniquities of Brexit, is that um, one of the ways out of it has been to try and get an Irish passport. How did you come across your particular Irish passport? How did you attempt to uh, solve this conundrum, James? It's very funny you should mention that because um, I, I know you're also keen to talk about adoption, and it was when I was applying for my Irish passport that I got all the paperwork out of my mum's loft that I hadn't really seen, like my original birth certificate with my birth name on it rather than my actual name, my adopted name. And I, and I got all the paperwork out of my mum's loft and I had my biological grandmother's name on my biological mother's birth certificate, all of which I needed to prove my Irishness to, to get my passport. So I just Googled it. I was, I was sitting on the sofa in the kitchen. I remember it. I was a bit bored. I'd had a wine. I just thought, well, this would be fun because it was quite a, it wasn't like, you know, Rosie O'Flaherty or something like that. It was a name that looked, it was all three names. The middle name was quite rare. I can't remember it. And even if I could, I wouldn't bloody say it now, would I? 
Um, and and I typed it in, and up she popped. Her funeral notice popped up on the on the screen, and that was it. And I looked at who attended the funeral, and there was the name of her children, and there was my biological mother in the middle of it. Had had same same sort of corner of island that they'd been in when I was conceived, and and there it was. I found her on Facebook about five minutes later, and and that was enough. I, I, she's happy. She's got a family. She's. I always had that fear that. You know, her life had gone awful after giving up her baby, but she was she had her own children now. So it just it killed it stone dead, really. The lifelong mild curiosity just 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 went. So I had no um I haven't really thought about it much since, except when I'm asked about it. Whereas previously, if there was one of those Nikki Campbell shows on the telly or when I interviewed you um the first time not the first time we met, the first time we had a proper chat, um it would have been very much in the forefront of my mind, but bizarrely, it, it just isn't anymore. Just, just kind of almost. It's funny, isn't it, that it is focus. less. I mean, my, yeah, mm. my story is so utterly ridiculous. My, my natural aunt, she came yesterday, for example, to the show, and now we get on. I get on fine with them, but it's not my natural mother died. I never met her, and it's to other people, it's a bigger thing. It's like, wow, yeah, don't you want to know? Don't want to know? Don't want to know yeah. more? And. Yeah, sort of. You can see why, because it's alien. It's, yeah, exactly. So, and for some people, it's huge, isn't it? We've, I'm sure we both know people that have got had an overarching need to, to, to find out more about their origins. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think there are any simple explanations of the difference. But but I'm like you. It just it was more mild curiosity and conscious of not wanting to go off in somebody else's family like a hand grenade. You don't know what what you know who she's married to now may not even know I exist. They don't want to suddenly turn up and go, surprise! <laughs> God knows what sort of ramifications that should have. But it's it's, it's quite secure about things. My natural half-sister is a supermodel who went out with Liam from One Direction and is currently doing art in London. Are you serious? Because this could be another bloody Polish diplomat no, moment, couldn't no, it? So it's not a, is I that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. She's Are a, you in touch with her? No. It Not would take all. one moment, wouldn't it? It would take one. It would just take one little moment, um, to, to yeah, to, uh, and then he. So I'd been in touch with him. I'd met him, the natural father, who, for all I know, subscribes to this podcast. He's uh, he's. I, I doubt it. He lives in Los Angeles in a house that's worth forty million dollars that replaced the one that he bought off Luther Vandross. Yes, no, this is all true. You've mentioned some of this to me before, <laughs> which of course makes all your fibs even more effective. I know, I couldn't make up it. I know, I know. The Polish diplomat story ends up being far, <laughs> exactly. far less exactly. exotic than the exactly truth. Exactly that. Yes, exactly that. It's yeah. not even in the top five. Yeah. Love it. So, uh, yes, bless her. So, uh, well, if you're listening, Cairo, um, you know, get in touch. You, I'll tell you what, you don't have to subscribe. You can have the first. You can have the first month for a pound <laughs> off. <laughs> it's been absolutely delightful to speak to you, and uh, we, you, we will again very soon. But we won't. Uh, yeah, we absolutely Definitely. will. Love it. And thank thanks you so much for. And uh, oh yeah, also how to be right, and what else should we be sort of telling people about how to be right? Uh, in the how to be right, how not to be wrong. Um, I, I'm working on the new one now, but that's that's still a way off. I think it's going to be called how they. How they broke Britain, but there's a lot of material. You know, one thing I'd love to do one day is I'd, I'll ask Mike Concrete if he's up for interviewing you. Do it. Okay. Clash of the Titan. <laughs> Thanks so much.
Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, definitely write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod. And we will look at every message that you send. If you would like to become a WTF supporter for as little as £2 a month and get early access to ad free and extended versions, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on? was hosted by me, Mark Steele. The music was by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell and Pete Sinclair at Carousel Studios. And What the Fuck is Going On was brought to you by WTF Productions.